This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ronald takes the snap, looks left under pressure. Oh, what a joy it is to be a New York Jets fan. Week two in the season already feels like it's over. Michael, you and I both predicted Jets wins. You were a little bit more fervent, I guess, in your prediction, but we both predicted nonetheless. We definitely have egg on our face now after the Jets got blown out by San Francisco. A depleted Niners team, a team that lost Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, Jimmy Garoppolo, Raheem Mostert during the game, in addition to D Ford and Richard Sherman and George Kittle, this is a winnable game, especially for a team that was traveling from the West Coast to the East Coast. All the reasons we thought they could win the game, they definitely popped up in this game. But alas, bad coaching, even worse talent uh, results in the Jets getting their ass kicked. And two games into the season, as I mentioned, it, it already feels like the season is over. This is probably the most hopeless it's ever been at the start of a season. But I still think there were some positives from this game. Michael? Mr. 26 to 21 himself, how are you feeling? Well, I mean, on, on that prediction, I definitely felt confident about this game. I think there were legitimate reasons. And the, when this, the game started and then you lose Boza, you lose Solomon Thomas, and then even just more and more piled on throughout the game. It seemed like it was an opportunity for them uh, to get a win against a team that they usually – probably wouldn't have much of a chance against. But even with all those injuries, still seemed like uh, they were playing a team just completely above their talent level. So, I mean, it, it was completely embarrassing. I thought even after that opening touchdown, once I saw Boza go out, um, it definitely – and also Thomas after that. Um, obviously, Boza's a bigger loss. But uh, just it seemed like a game that they definitely should have been able to at least be competitive in. But it's it, it's hard to even – comprehend what's going on this is a not talented team but they're just getting it's embarrassing right now right I mean I I think last year the offense was about as bad as it's been this year I think the offensive line is is better this year so I actually think in the long run the offense may be better than last year's we'll see if the receivers are going to continue to be this bad they do get Mims back at some point 
um, week five, actually. And then they should get Perriman back at some point. But I think with the improved offensive line, the offense will be better. But the defense bailed them out of a lot of games last year, which was kind of surprising because, you know, I think they definitely had deficiencies at corner. Uh, bless Austin and Arthur Millette stepped up. They lost C.J. Mosley. But it was the defense, especially when, you know, Adam Gase and Joe Douglas were talking about the 6-2 and two finish all of last year. You look at those games, especially the last ones against Pittsburgh and Buffalo, those in Miami, those were defensive slugfests. I mean, your defense won you those games. It was not Adam Gase's brilliant offensive mind. And this year, I think you're seeing the defense sink to the level of the offense, and this is the result so far. Now, look, it's early in the season. There is plenty of time to turn it around, but certainly an Adam Gase-led team has not been uh, an inspiring one to watch after two weeks. Um, so let's hop right into it. Let's talk about it. I mean, you mentioned from the first play of the game, I mean, an 80-yard touchdown uh, looked like Garrison Hurst right there for was a little throwback for all Jets fans to think of another depressing moment. But an 80-yard TD, they had another 70, I think it was a 70-yard touchdown or 65-yard touchdown called back due to a holding penalty. They converted on third and 31 inside their own 10. I think the biggest takeaway from this um, was – I mean, the, la the poor tackling on defense and the lack of run defense. I mean, they had some good plays, but then they just had maybe five terrible plays from that run defense, which, you know, can be attributed probably to the loss of Jamal Adams, to the injuries at inside linebacker, certainly not having C.J. Mosley hurts. Um, but, Michael, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, the, the run defense in this game was absolutely putrid, especially all those just getting gashed for big gains. Not something we saw a lot of last year under Greg Williams. Yeah, well, the biggest thing for me is I do not know why Avery Williamson is not playing over Ogletree and or Hewitt. Either one, because Hewitt, Ogletree, take your pick. They're both terrible. Um, he, Williamson must not be completely healthy. Even though he's active for this game, he can't be healthy, you know, to, be, uh, to not be playing over, over either of them. And if he is, then it's a very legitimate criticism against Greg because it makes zero sense. They're absolutely terrible. They take awful angles, can't get off a box, miss tackles. So watching those two guys has been brutal. Um, hopefully Williamson can get healthy or get back into the lineup somehow because they really need some help at linebacker. That, that position has killed them in two consecutive games. And it wasn't good last year either. They worked around it with uh, playing well at a lot of other positions, but it, it was an issue last year. Now it's in the spotlight more without Jamal Adams kind of clean things up. Um, so it, 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 that's definitely a big weakness. Uh, and just some missed tackles, the entire defense at corner safety, even the defensive line can't finish tackles in both of these two games. Now uh, they tackled pretty well last year. Missed tackles were, rarely an issue for this team uh, throughout last season but through two games it's been really brutal and you know regardless of how well you call plays or how well you cover the angles you take you got to finish it with your tackling and in th these two games they led the league with 16 missed tackles last week they might lead the league again this week based on what we saw so uh, it, it's been brutal and 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 there's really not much you can do schematically to clean that up. I mean, you can hammer it home in practice, but you just got to execute better um, on game day. So Bus Austin was a huge part of it in this game. And Austin had a great debut, season debut for the most part, but he did miss three tackles in that game. And I think he missed at least another three in this game. So that's a big issue that he has to clean up, even though he has a lot of upside in his game overall. Uh, I think McDougal missed a couple in this game. I mean, I mean, you could, Pick, you know, take your pick. Everyone was missing tackles 
on defense in this game. And there was one guy who deserves some positive credit who we'll get to, but missed tackles are a huge issue among many for this defense. Yeah, I mean, and you noted it on Alec Ogletree and Avery Williamson. I would imagine that Williamson is, is due, to ha- due, due to a hamstring. As uh, as Mike Nash, 15, said on Twitter, it looks like Alec Ogletree is carrying a refrigerator on his back, and I think that was pretty accurate. You saw it. We talked about it in the preview for this game that the big matchup to watch was going to be the Jets linebackers on the 49ers running backs, and that was going to pretty much determine San Francisco's success offensively, and that was the case. I mean, you saw it in an angle route where Alec Ogletree – Literally looked like, I mean, a 50-year-old playing in a Legends League. I mean, he just had no chance of covering Mostert. And obviously, those running backs ripped off some huge gains. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there, there were some positives. And as you said, we'll, we'll get to, to them uh, in a second. But let's go to the offensive side of the ball. Um, because, you know, it was a mixed bag. I mean, probably more bad than good. Um, rightfully so many Jets fans have been calling for Adam Gaze's head. I agree with that. I do think that this team would be better off without him, but let's start with some positives on the offensive ball. They did move the football a lot better than they did last week. They certainly looked a lot more fluid. Uh, You can maybe attribute some of their, their week one miscues to the lack of preseason. That might explain some of their, their missed tackling or whatever. They had a game under their belt. I certainly thought the offense looked a lot better, but end of the day, they scored 13 points, really only six points when it mattered another uninspiring performance by Gase offense, a back-to-back games being down 21 to three at halftime, but they did move the ball. I thought Sam Darnold looked a lot better than he did last week. Certainly was a lot more accurate. Um, had a great touchdown at the end of the game. Uh, Frank Gore, clearly a better fit for this offense uh, than Le'Veon Bell just hits the hole. I think this might've been the first time that I can recall watching an Adam Gase Jets team where they did stay ahead of the sticks. They ran the ball. Well, um, but yeah, they were, they were putrid on second down uh, and they just got unlucky on some third downs and some red zone miscues. But I think the biggest takeaways were one, the offensive line looked very good. Makai Becton, another very good performance. It's only been two games so far in his young career, but it looks like the Jets might have nailed that pick, which is huge for Joe Douglas's first draft class, considering only three of the seven or uh, three of Joe Douglas's picks, excuse me have played, I believe. I think it's Mann, Davis, and Becton. A ton of his picks haven't even played. And so far, just based off the getting a franchise left tackle, again, it's two games. He could suck the rest of the way. But based off two games, getting a franchise left tackle, that's more than Mike McCagney did in his entire career, you could argue, um, just when you look at positional value. But it might be a little bit of hyperbole. He did get Jamal Adams and, and Sam Darnold. But regardless, I thought the offensive line looked really good. I thought Frank Gore ran the ball well. They stayed ahead of the sticks. Darnold did a good job. He was much more accurate. Um, but he was a game manager. I mean, Gase really didn't open up the offense for him much. It was a lot of quick passing, a lot of, you know, one read throws. He was accurate. He did have the touchdown that we mentioned. Um, clearly, the team was only down to four receivers to start the game. They lost Perriman. They were down to three. Hogan missed, uh, you know, a few uh, drives. So they were down to two receivers at one point in the game. So, you know, there could be some blame on the fact that they just had nothing on the outside. But again, Michael, what are your thoughts, your overall thoughts on on this offense's performance, starting with Adam Gase? We'll talk about Sam Darnold next, but looking at Adam Gase's offense and this offense's performance as a a whole. Well, I think last week I wasn't necessarily defending Gase because he was terrible in that game as well for the most part. But there were some plays where he was getting blamed where, you know, it was more just or execution, whether it was Darnold, the drop by the receiver, whatever it was. But in this game, I think he was just 
absolutely horrible. But to, to start out, like you said, there were some good flashes. It looked like they kind of came out with a decent plan. They're running the ball well in first down, had um, some good quick throws to the outside that were working. But then just a lack of adjustments, which we've been talking about since the very beginning, since he got here, weren't there. It seemed like, you know, he had this game plan to neutralize this pass rush to get the ball out. But Bosa goes out. Thomas goes out. Ford was announced as out yesterday, so maybe they didn't even adjust based on that. Um, and the Niners weren't getting much, much of a pass rush. The Jets were protecting well. Um, when they were blitzing, they were picking it up, but they never took any shots. And when you're running the ball well in first down, that's exactly what you need to set up play action on second down and throw the ball downfield. And they never did it. And I know there were injuries at receiver, but the Niners had injuries at cornerback and they had injuries up front. There's really no excuse for it. Um, Obviously, you know, having Barrios, Josh Malone, Hogan as your receivers isn't ideal, but it's not like they can't catch a deep ball. So they're they're NFL receivers. They can make plays. Uh, So not taking shots in the first half at all was um, completely inexcusable with how well the O-line was setting them up on first down it was it was awful especially play action just they were doing what they need to do to set that up and the offensive line was setting up the run game so he could run play action and he never did it and just never threw the ball downfield at all and then some of the decisions late in the game uh and this is something we always do with Jets coaches because they get blown out so much uh, that we have to criticize these decisions but when you're down 21 there's under 20 minutes left in the game and it's fourth and seven, fourth and goal from the seven. You're going for it there. Kicking a field goal to cut the lead to 18 doesn't do anything. You still have to get a two-point conversion to tie the game. Uh, and you, you still have to get two touchdowns and a field goal, a two-point on one of them. So it's not much different from uh, – the two-point conversion isn't that much different in terms of the odds of succeeding as the fourth and seven you have to get. It just doesn't make any sense at all. It's just very, very stupid to not go for that. Uh, there were a couple fourth and mediums they punted on in the second half when they still had somewhat of a chance. Um, so it was an all-around terrible play-calling game from Gase. Really, the offensive line did a good job. Uh, Darnold, I think, executed his responsibilities mostly well in this game, but Gase just never put his foot on the gas pedal at all and made some really conservative decisions. Um, I think he let them down quite a bit in this one. Um, and, and then Darnold's performance, I think it was definitely more good than bad. Um, when the first read was there, he made his throws really well, had some good outside the numbers throws. The touchdown to Barrios, even though it was garbage time, that was an amazing play. Uh, and, and for the most part, he was really accurate. There were some drops as well. The receivers were definitely bad um, with the injuries. Hogan had a bad drop early. Um, Herndon and uh, that last play, where uh, near the end, in the second half, third quarter, I believe, Darnold scrambled. It was kind of like that Crowder play in Baltimore. Great throw along the sideline. Should have been a classic highlight, and it still can be considered that for Darnold, but terrible drop by Herndon there. Right. Uh, so the pass catching is bad, but Darnold in this game, I think he threw the ball well, but, and, you know, Gase didn't help him by not letting him air the ball out, but I still think a minor issue for Darnold in this game it's kind of worrisome in terms of his potential as becoming a franchise quarterback, a game changer, a pro bowler is when the Niners were showing blitz, when they were really stacking up the line of scrimmage, 
whenever Darnold saw that, he would dump the ball off immediately on a couple of uh, – at least a couple of third and longs in the second half. Niner show blitz, he's dumping the ball off. One of them, he almost got picked off as the edge defender dropped out. Uh, one of them, Barrios, just got tackled with no chance uh, to pick it up. I think it was Barrios, but I forget. But still, there were a couple of, a couple of plays where it just seemed like he was did not want to stand there in front of the blitz at all. It was just going to get out the, get the ball out immediately. Right. Even though this line is picking up blitz as well. They did in the first game. They did in this one. You, he can stand back there in front of the pressure and read the field. There were also a couple throws under pressure where he was a little tentative, um, to, uh, which is a consistent theme for him. But to, to stand in the pocket and just accept the hit and make the throw, uh, there was one good one he made uh, to Herndon, I believe, to the outside. Uh, where he accepted a hit and made a good enough throw for Herndon to catch it. And he's got to do some more of that. So not, even though there was a lot going against Darnold in this game, the receiving talent, awful, base play calling, even worse than that, uh, a lot going against him. And this was a good performance, I think, uh, in terms of what he can control. But at the same time, I still think uh, there were some worrying things, things that uh, he can improve at. Things that, if he does get better at, uh, can help him carry the team, lift them up in games like this where nothing else is going right. Well, let's start with Gase, and then I'm going to circle back to what you were just talking about with Darnold. Um, yeah, I, I think that – and you made an excellent point about Adam Gase's game planning because if you were just to watch Adam Gase's opening drives last year, you'd probably think he was one of the best offensive minds in all of football. The Jets scored a ton of points on opening drives last year. They had a lot of success, and that points to Gase – Having a good game plan, being actually a, a very good game planner in the NFL is a valuable trade, having fast starts. And we saw that this year. They didn't score or this game. They didn't score in the opening drive, but in their three possessions in the first half, yes, they only walked out with three points. But unlike last week, at that point in the game, I was like, well, this game is closer than the 21 to three that it appears. Whereas last week, I was like, this game should be even worse than 21 to three. Those three points are inexcusable. When you look at the fact that the Jets only had three drives, they moved the ball on the first drive. They got inside Niners territory. It was a third and short. Hogan dropped a second down play. I think uh, Gore missed a wide open hole on third down. They punted. Okay, that's excusable. The second drive, they drive all the way down the field. They struggle in the red zone. They have to settle for three. That's where they get the three points. That's fine. And then the third drive, they drive all the way down. And then on fourth and one, uh, I don't like the play call to go to Josh Adams. Michael and I were both noted that on both third and fourth down, the Niners did not have a zero tech or anybody over the center that Darnold could have kept it. Darnold says that he has that, you know, the post-game press conference that, that Gase makes him stick with the call apparently. Which is another major issue that is that's so, that's so awful. 100% an issue. Quarterback that freedom. 100%. Um, but as far as the game plan go, the game plan goes, especially with the depleted receiving core, I thought it was fine, especially in the first half. As we said, three points are inexcusable, but I actually thought the first half offensive performance was, was solid. I would have liked to see more shots on second down, but I thought Frank Gore ran the ball well, and Gase overall had a good answer to this Niners pass rush um, and getting the ball out of Darnold's hands quickly. Second half is a completely different story in my mind. I thought he, the Niners made some adjustments at halftime. He obviously did not. As you said, he didn't even adjust to his game plan to the fact that Bosa, Ford, uh, and Thomas were out. He refused to take any of those shots. Um, you know, it was very predictable in the play calling in the second half. And then as, far as we talked about, the management. I mean, it makes no sense to kick that field goal when it's 24 to three. You know, the Jets at that point, are they going to win the game? Probably not. But as you saw in the Cowboys-Falcons game yesterday, 
you're never really fully out of it. You could make it 24 to 10. I think it was still in the third quarter. You get a stop, you score another touchdown. Now it's 24, 17, who knows? Um, and in that situation, the way I would look at it is like, well, would I rather have a four, I think it was fourth and seven. Would I rather have a fourth and seven to score a touchdown? And, and that's one option. Or would I rather kick the field goal and then know that any chance I'm going to have to win this game, I'm going to have to presumably get an onside kick later. That's probably what's going to happen. The difference between 24 to 3. The perceived benefit of doing that is, okay, instead of scoring three touchdowns, I can get two touchdowns and a field goal. Okay, but on one of those, you have to get a two-point conversion. And a two-point conversion is just as difficult, slightly easier than the fourth and seven that you're trying to go for anyway. It just makes no sense. There's, there's not, yeah, the difference between 24 to three to 24 to 26 is so negligible that I think that that was a terrible give up call by him. He's trying to say that we're trying to get some juice going. It's like, man, it's halfway through the third. I mean, that's, that time is already even a real thing. You got down there and whether you kicking a field goal doesn't change how you feel. Right. About if it. it's, if it was down, try and win the game. If it was 24 to three, if it was 24 to three and you're in the second quarter, then yeah, okay, maybe I get it that you kick the field goal, just get some points, get something going. But at this point, it's you don't have time to slow roll some momentum. The time is now. You have that one play. If you get that touchdown, believe me, you're going to have a hell of a lot more momentum. If you don't get it, the outcome will probably be the same as if you kick it. You're not going to get it. I thought the punt, the next drive, was also just a completely pathetic call. Again, I know the Jets probably weren't going to win at that time. but And they're repeatedly running the ball at the end of the game. Right. Even though we've seen the standard norm in the NFL now. You get down, you throw the ball play after play, and teams have success coming back into the game that way, not with three-yard runs by Frank Gore. Exactly. So more bad than good for Gase. Uh, I liked that that Gore and this offensive line was able to keep the offense ahead of the chains. I do think that that does show some promising signs for this offense in future weeks. But, yeah, I mean, Adam Gase, I mean, it's it's the story that is that has followed his career pretty much since – 2017 with the Dolphins is just an inability to adjust. Um, and, and we saw it in this game. Now, circling back to what you said about Darnold. Yeah, I agree. I think definitely more good than bad. Uh, a way better performance than, than last week. And when you factor in the fact uh, that, that Hernan dropped that touchdown, certainly makes his numbers look a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, he was the game manager um, in this game. A lot of just simple out routes, one reads. I think that is a concern a little bit because that was pretty much what he was in college was a one read quarterback ran a lot of RPOs. Um, certainly the physical talent is there for Darnold to be a franchise quarterback. That's why he was supposed to be the number one pick is because when you put the arm talent, the accuracy, the, the feel for the game, all those things, that is, is something you think you can mold into, into a franchise quarterback, even if he was a little raw, but the fact that he hasn't really taken much progress, if this was a game that happened his rookie season, I think we'd all be looking at, all right, this is a good game for Darnold. He's a rookie. You know, we like some of the things he did, but he didn't carry the team. But the fact that it's year three, and I, we really haven't seen that much progression from year one to year three. We've seen a little bit. His stats were a little bit better last year, but we haven't seen that leap. When you look at the leap that Josh Allen has made from year one to year three, I would go on a limb and say Sam Darnold was 100% the better prospect than Josh Allen. And I think if you put Sam Darnold in Buffalo's situation, he's the better player than Josh Allen is right now. But the Bills have supported Allen. They supported him with their system, with the weapons. Um, and he's clearly progressing. And Darnold at this point is not. And 
I like a lot of the things he did today, but you're right. I mean, he still struggles to go through some progressions. We were worried about last year, him developing scars behind this offensive line. And it, so far, look, it's only two games, but he has developed scars. He's afraid to take a hit. He's afraid to stand there in the pocket. That was not something that followed him at USC. He was supposedly very good under pressure at USC. And even in his rookie year, standing in the pocket, you know, having the guts to stand there and take a shot this year. I mean, he's, he's been scared pretty much since that seeing ghost game to take a hit. Uh, and that's, definitely concerning the one thing you mentioned about um the the audibles when he thinks he sees zero blitz uh, yes that's on Darnold for making that read and calling the audible and changing the play but you have to wonder how much of that is coaching how much of that is Adam Gase and Sam Darnold sitting down and watching the scene ghost game and saying okay here's our answer this year for zero blitz anytime you see this we're gonna have we have three receivers to the right you know, you can audible this to a receiver screen. You're going to have a one-on-one matchup with the receiver. If it's zero blitz, I mean, that could be a first down. Um, and, you know, and even the one where he almost gets picked off on, I will say, if Armstead doesn't jump up, I mean, he clearly did made the play. The blocks in front of Barrios were there that Barrios probably would have gotten the first down. But I agree. I don't like that. I don't like that adjustment. So I think that's more on coaching than it is on Darnold. I don't think Darnold, as a player, came into this league or came into the Jets organization with that being his answer to the zero blitz. That's an Adam Gase answer. And I think that falls on Gase more than it does on Darnold. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean. I agree. I think that's a good point because even though, uh, yes, I think there should be some blame on Darnold. He's seeing blitz and he's like, all right, I'm going to check this down. He doesn't feel like he want he he can stand there uh, and read the field. I do think it's put some blame on him for that. But at the same time, like you look at this game in particular, you know, throwing passes like that is perfectly in sync with the entire game plan of the offense. So that leads you to believe that it is very much a coaching thing to where Gase, Loggins, whoever it is, is just drilling it into him. Um, well, I mean, it's you know, it's probably one of those two the combination of them, but. They're drilling into him. Okay, you see blitz, check it down, get a completion, get your completion percentage up. Let's yeah, I mean, he, he talked Let's about boost it. Boost your confidence. That's really going to help you during passes and line scrimmage. So it is a worrying thing to some degree, I think, that um, he is making those checks. And, and like that Hogan play against Buffalo last week, uh, Robbie Sabo made a good point that, you know, it was a Darnold audible to do that. So it is concerning that uh, it's not necessarily – it's concerning in the sense that it's not Gase just calling that play. It's not entirely on him, but at the same time, it seems like based on the point you made is really good. I think that they are drilling it into him that that's what he right. should be doing. Exactly. That, that is not, that would not have been Darnold's answer at USC. I mean, that, that is directly, you're right. Darnold's making that call, but that is an Adam Gase answer. That's Adam Gase right. drilling him all summer. Right. Saying, it's okay, Darnold doing it. It's not the play call, but it seems like that they've, kind of made taught him to have that mentality yeah and that just points to bad coaching I mean look if it's third and two then maybe but I, yeah I just don't love that answer to a zero blitz on third and long I just I hate that answer I think it just lacks creativity I think you know uh, I think it's fair to be critical of Darnold he is in year three I think there are some questions about his ability to move on from the first read but you clearly saw it on that last play to Berrios mm -hmm. and how he played today. The accuracy is still there. The arm talent is still there. He did make some really nice plays. Um, so I don't think he's ruined by any chance. I think this just hammered home to me that he needs, and this is what we've been saying, he needs an opportunity after this coaching staff. If the Jets have the number one pick, then okay, fine. Take Trevor Lawrence, sure. But most likely what's going to happen this season is the Jets are going to win five games. 
or six games. And they're going to end up with the sixth pick or the seventh pick or whatever. It's like at that point, okay, you fire Gase, you bring in Eric Bieniemy or whoever, and you draft to build around Darnold. You give him one more year. And if he sucks then, then you use the two extra picks that you have uh, from the Adams trade. You have two firsts in, in 2021. Then you use those picks and try to move up and get a quarterback or whatever. But uh, this hammers his home that I don't think Darnold is ruined. I don't think he's bad. At this point in his career, he's a fine, solid, average quarterback. He's pretty much exactly what Jimmy G is for the Niners right now. Except Jimmy G looks very good in this game, by the way, um, until he got hurt. Um, but is the question right now is, can he take that next step and be that elite Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson level quarterback. He hasn't been able to it, but I think he has all the, t- the tools. He's still young enough where I think he deserves, uh, you know, based off two games, we'll see how the rest of the, the season goes, uh, another year after Adam Gase. The question I'd pose to you, Michael, for people that are criticizing Darnold, and look, he's not above it. There are some very real criticisms that me and you have both pointed out. But given the situation, given that they were down to two receivers at one point, given the, the roster that he's playing with, given the coaching staff, Adam Gase's system, Adam Gase's offense, this Jets team versus this Niners team, if you put Patrick Mahomes in this exact same situation or pick any of the top young quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, hell, even Josh Allen, because he's having a, a, a great 2020 so far. What is their stat line today? I mean, how, how well do they play? How much better do they play than Darnold? Patrick Mahomes may, and Deshaun Watson may play better than Darnold did, but how much better? You know, if, if they were in this situation for the last year and two games, how much better do they look than Darnold? Because I don't think they look that much better than, than Sam has this far. That's the, the one thing I keep going back to is, is I, I think that Sam is, is one of the best things that has happened to this organization in a while. I think they shouldn't be stupid and blindly follow him down the rabbit hole and end up like the, the Bears with Mitch Trubisky. If he's bad, then I get it, move on. But – I think he's been good enough to prove that he deserves a, a year after Gase. But going back to my question, Michael, how do you think um, Patrick Mahomes type of quarterback and Deshaun Watson performs in this exact same situation? I, I think the biggest difference with this team against the, the last two years is that this offensive line looks like it's legitimate. It looks like they're going to set up some favorable second, third downs with the run game. They're going to pick up blitzes. They're not going to take catastrophic pocket destroying losses on a consistent basis. So, you know, the first game, he was bad, period. He didn't play well in that one. And then in this game, he didn't really get the chance to air it out. But 14 games left, if this offensive line can continue to play as uh, solid as I think they have so far, then I think we're really going to get a more fair opportunity to evaluate him. And I know in this game, the receivers and Gase really held him back, but we should get a better chance uh, to really take a look at him over these next few games, over these, over the next uh, you know, three and a half months, but last couple seasons, what he was dealing with, it's, it's hard to picture a quarterback doing much better. Uh, I, but I do think that what does separate a Mahomes, a Russell Wilson, uh, those legitimately elite cornerbacks is uh, quarterbacks is what they can do under pressure. They are willing to stand in the pocket and make a big throw under uh, when the heat is coming down. Uh, they'll make really good reads at the live scrimmage, identify things, make audibles that, you know, and even if the play call isn't great, they'll find ways to make an adjustment to make things work. Uh, and then after the snap, they'll read the field. They won't lock onto one read. So I do think there are things that Darnold, independent of all stuff around him, does need to get better at just individually to hit that elite level. So in this game in particular, like I think there are some times where Darnold dumped it off and a guy like Mahomes might be willing to stand back there and make a big throw or – 
there are times where, you know, he didn't make the best throw under pressure. Someone like Aaron Rodgers might stand in there and make a better throw. So I do think the best of the best quarterbacks in this game could have done a little bit more. But at the same time, it's it's a tough – this was a tough situation with the receivers he's throwing to and a coach that is now legitimately looking like a major roadblock in his development. Um, I, I think and, – and both you and I have – kind of, again, not defended Gase, but said, like, there are, okay, there's a little bit here for him, but this game and, you know, where things are trending right now, he just looks like a complete uh, massive detriment to Darnold's development right now. So he's dealing with a lot. I don't think there are too many quarterbacks that would have done much better in this game against the Niners. But I do think there are, uh, like you said, if he's going to get to that elite level, there are some things – uh, mainly what he does under pressure, both pre-snap and post-snap, uh, and you know, making both making the throw, and what he decides to do when he thinks the pressure is coming, uh, and then just the overall um, avoiding turnovers, things like. And he did not have a turnover in this game, but interceptions like the one against Buffalo really want to take those down. So I, there are some things that I do think he needs to get better at that are separating him from that elite level. But right. to get him up to that, you know that good production level, because obviously the production isn't there right now. There are a lot of things outside of him uh, that are holding him back from that level right now. Completely agree. And I think the, the throwing under pressure is, is definitely the, the biggest point that you just mentioned. And I think that can also be attributed to the scars that he developed last year behind that terrible offensive line, because that was one of his better attributes at USC. I felt like that his ability to stand in the pocket, I mean, that jump pass he made against Notre Dame on fourth down with like seven guys blitzing in his face. That is who Sam Darnold was before he got to the Jets. I think the optimism in me is saying that, look, they did fix the offensive line. There is still 14 games left in the season. Let's see if he can revert that trend, because I do think it is something that he possessed originally. He's lost it, but I think he can gain it back again, especially if he's comfortable behind the offensive line. Uh, that's in front of him. And I think you're right. The, the fact that this offensive line is in, is in a complete shit show this year gives me hope that he can develop uh, that throwing under pressure skill that he had. I think that's the biggest reason for optimism because right now he's clearly very rattled by the pressure. And again, this Niners game wasn't as bad as the first one, but in terms of the things he did struggle with in this game, it did have to do with the pressure. So he's clearly kind of, you know, still rattled by that. So hopefully with time, if this offensive line continues to play well and progress, which it should considering no preseason games, first time playing together, uh, then hopefully he can work out of those bad habits. Then on the flip side of that, worst case scenario, but this is a line that Joe Douglas built entirely by himself. All of these players he acquired, four of them this offseason. If Darnold doesn't progress behind this offensive line, then I think like you said, the nightmare scenario is getting into a Mitch Trubisky, James Winston, Marcus Mariota kind of thing where you stick with Darnold for five years. He's never that star quarterback and you stay mediocre. That's kind of the nightmare scenario. So if this offensive line does play good, then you could have Douglas kind of be more honest in his evaluation of Darnold and be more willing to you know, make a Trevor Lawrence move if he has to. So the offensive line playing well is crucial for it, it, it gives Darnold the best chance for him to fulfill his right. ceiling, but also I think worst case scenario, if he doesn't, then it'll be less likely that the Jets, uh, that Douglas decides to you know stick with him and just ride him into the ground uh, just because of his potential, even though that it's clearly not there. So this offensive line, very important. If 
Darnold goes throughout the season and the line continues to protect well, but he continues uh, to struggle under pressure and really look rattled and afraid when it's coming, then that's a pretty major issue that he's probably not going to work out of. But right. uh, if they do continue to protect well, then it does give him that opportunity if, to prove that he can work out of it. Yeah, I think that the most likely and the best case scenario for the Jets is that he shows enough over the next 14 games, kind of like in this game where the team may be terrible, they may lose, but if he can show enough that, look, this guy can be a good quarterback, then I agree with what I just said, you know, what was it, 10 minutes ago, that you, you give him another year after the head coach. If there are serious problems that continue, get worse, new problems, he looks terrible, you obviously would take Lawrence at the first pick. If you have the sixth pick, yeah, I mean, I would look at Justin Fields or Trey Lance and, and evaluate how do we like these guys compared to Sam Darnold. But again, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think it's week two and it's way too early. And I still believe in Sam Darnold. So I think we're just way too early for those discussions. I think unless the Jets are in serious Trevor Lawrence talk in November, December, then we can start having these conversations about not only Lawrence, or, but the other quarterbacks. But I think most likely they're going to be a bad team, but Darnold would be good enough to say, hey, he deserves one more year outside of Adam Gase. And similar to what I was just saying, if you put Patrick Mahomes in this situation, I agree with you. I think Mahomes would be better. But think about Patrick Mahomes in this Adam Gase's offense, just in a vacuum. I mean, this is an offense that is built on progressions. It's built on moving the sticks. It's built for a guy like Peyton Manning or even a Daniel Jones, just kind of a, a pocket pass. You don't need a strong arm. You don't need all the arm talent in the world. Kind of a game manager, elite progression maker. But Patrick Mahomes, that's not it. The, the Chiefs give him the, the opportunity to create. They you know spread things out. They take shots. They let him create. If you put Patrick Mahomes in this, this you know 11 personnel static offense where he's making – quick progressions on a quick out route and all these this boring bland offense that Gase runs I don't think you see MVP Patrick Mahomes I think he, he's still a solid quarterback but I, I just I think if you put Darnold in an Andy Reid system he may not be Patrick Mahomes I think Mahomes is the better player but I think you're seeing a lot better numbers from Darnold so that's why it's just like he needs a year outside of Gase's system um, and you know we get a few more performances like this from Gase. I don't think after Chris Johnson called him a brilliant offensive mind that he'll fire him midseason. But the Jets get to week eight or week nine or week 10, and they haven't won a game, and Darnold doesn't look good. They have to fire him because they have to evaluate Darnold away from Gase. Just promote Jim Bob Cooter to OC. See what Darnold can do away from Gase. Um, but let's move on from the offense. We've had enough therapy on the offense. Let's talk about the defense, which was even worse and probably needs even more therapy. But, you know, there was one bright spot, and let's talk about it. Quinn Williams had a breakout game for his, uh, of his career. I mean, th this was, you know, look, it's one game, um, but if he can perform like this uh, on a consistent basis, obviously not every game you're going to have two sacks and all these tackle for losses and whatever, but if he can be this elite interior presence where he's creating pressure, he may not always get sacks, but he's at least getting in the QB's face, being an elite run defender, then you – can make the argument that Quinton Williams was worth the third overall pick because up until this point very much was not I mean he was very much so far been a Leonard Williams clone probably worse um and he's just disappeared Definitely not for, at the Leonard Williams level I think you're right but I'm saying in the sense that he's not getting sacks the best case scenario for him is, is pressures but you're right Leonard Williams at least was pressuring the quarterback but in the sense that the Jets took him third overall and traded Leonard Williams in the hope that okay this guy can be better than Leonard Williams and it just looks like okay we have another guy who can't sack the quarterback granted Leonard creates the pressure 
That's what you're hoping Quinnen can do, though, is create the pressure, but as he showed today, finish. Because I don't, I don't recall Leonard Williams ever having a game as good as this. That doesn't mean jack shit. Everybody can have one great game. But it certainly is a positive step for Quinnen Williams' development that he has two legit sacks today. He really stood out, um, and it was a step in the right direction for him because so far every game he's played in, for the most part, we haven't noticed him. Yeah, and I think the important thing, like you said, the sacks were legitimate. Uh, he created the pressure and he finished it. So that was really important to, uh, you know, get legitimate sacks. Last year he had two and a half, but none of them were actually real sacks. Two of them he was unblocked. I think he was on the um, – no, the half sack of Minshew just scrambled into him. So he did not have a legitimate sack last year. To get two in this game, huge step forward for him. He obviously had really quiet season debut – uh, there was one play against the Bills where he probably would have had a sack if Hewitt and Desir didn't blow a coverage instantly to to, uh, to let Allen get the ball out. So this was a big step forward for Quinnen, easily the best game of his career against a pretty solid Niners offensive line. Obviously, the strength is their tackles, not their interior, but uh, still was the most dominant we've seen him. And this is the guy you want to see on a weekly basis. That doesn't mean get two sacks every week because absolutely no one has done that in the history of the league, but all it means is just consistently getting in the backfield, blowing up plays, getting hits, pressures, uh, to make life hard on the opposing quarterback. Sometimes sacks come with it. In this game, they did, uh, but it's just about pressure. He didn't get any of that against the Bills, but if he can consistently uh, be in the backfield as often as he was in this game, uh, then he could start, you know, working his way up to being worth that third overall pick, being the dominant player that it seemed like he would be when the Jets took him that high. And the run game as well, he was dominant in this game. So um, he was easily the biggest positive. Uh, Becton might have been a bigger positive, have to see the film more to really get a read on his performance. But even already right now, I've already seen at least three dominant clips yeah. that people posted <laughs> of him. So uh, Becton might have been the biggest positive in this game, but Quinnen defensively definitely is right there. Yeah, if the Jets are going to suck this year, at least having guys like Quinnen, Becton, and hopefully Sam playing well is really all you can ask because um, nobody's expecting this team to go to the Super Bowl. I think me and you are a little bit more optimistic that they could maybe not make the playoffs, but at least kind of be in the race. As that the little end of the pause season. right there made it interesting. It made it seem like you were saying maybe they could make the Super Bowl. <laughs> No, no, they, they were not going to make the Super Bowl under any circumstance. And any Jets fan that thought they would were completely delusional. I don't think they existed. But I think me and you both thought, okay, I think this could be a 7-9. A and nine. I predicted an 8-8 eight and eight team. Um, a team that could at least be around I actually did predict them to lose these first two games in my okay. schedule prediction on the way to finishing 8. Well, I, I'm, I've had enough of your predictions after, after that 26-21 <laughs> victory that you predicted on, on Friday. So... Uh, let's not let's ignore that. But I agree with you. I, I think that they still will win some games this year. But it looks like okay, my expectations were a little too high. They're probably not an eight-win team. They're probably more like a five or six-win team. But if they're going to be a five or six-win team, then yeah, Sam needs to be playing well. Quinn needs to be playing well. Mackay Becton needs to keep it up. Uh, and then I think you can go into 2021 with some optimism, given the two first-round picks. I do like this base. I think that Joe, I do believe in Joe Douglas to build this team. Um, but Quinnen was the big bright spot on defense. But the other 10 guys were pretty uninspiring. I mean, I think Brian Poole had some nice plays. I mean, outside yeah, of that. I don't think there's anything else to say positive <laughs> I mean, about I mean, I think May. Basham did, had a nice hit for us, had interceptions. That's, uh, that's yes. true. Outside of Quinnen, 
this is probably due to Quinnen, but I think they did a much better job of creating pressure than week one. Week one, Allen had 10 seconds in the pocket on one play. There was none of those plays against San Francisco. Certainly not an elite pass rush, but at least it looked a little bit more like last year where they were shedding blocks after three seconds and, and getting in the quarterback's face. They did have a few times. I think Jenkins might have had some good pressure. I think Jenkins did get a sack at one point or – Maybe it's just a tackle for loss or something. But Henry Anderson, though, I mean. Oh, he's probably my least favorite player on the team. <laughs> I mean, he's completely uninspiring, unathletic, doesn't look like he's trying, and then he gets bonehead penalty. Legitimately bonehead dirty penalty. player. You've Legitimately dirty, dirty player. Throughout three seasons. So just hard, hard to root for, no production to back it up. Yeah, I mean, he was better in the 3-4 system in 2018. You can give him that. Same problem plagued him in Indianapolis where he had a base 3-4, and then he switched into more of a multiple or a 4-3 defense, and he struggled. But, yeah, I would bench Henry Anderson, just have Kyle Phillips out there full-time. I don't know what Henry Anderson is even bringing you. It's not like he's a great run defender. Um, so he's probably my least favorite player on this whole roster. Um, but when you look at this defense, yeah, May had a bad game. Ogletree and, and Hewitt were terrible. Williamson get, did yeah. get some run. I mean, but... May did make probably more positive plays than most people other than Quinnen, but that, that's true. the negatives were definitely that's there. That's true. He did have yeah. the, he had had the pass tackles. Right. He had the pass breakup on the goal line, but then he allowed the touchdown the next play, yeah. but it was still good coverage. Um, I thought Bless Austin yeah, had a that worse. That was a great catch, but I mean – Still isn't allowed touchdown to man coverage. And and you you know you would hope that he could potentially get the tackle there at the one yard line, but it, I guess it is Jordan Reed who you have to remember was an elite receiving option uh, a few years ago for the Washington Football Team. So yeah, I didn't I didn't stumble like you last week, Michael. I, I got it nailed <laughs> after two weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bless Austin was worse than he was last week, but he's still the Jets' best starting corner uh, on the outside. Still would um, like to see at some point. Not sure. Well, like, yeah, he got there. Well, he got hurt in the middle of the game, but yeah, I think I think Quincy Wilson. I, I have to go back and watch it. I don't think he was anything special. He got a concussion, actually. What am I saying? Pretty early on in the game, Desir got a deflected yeah, Wilson interception, went out and then Desir came out for Wilson instead of uh, instead of Millet. And Well, Desir did get the interception despite it being a terrible. Well, I throw. mean, it's a it has nothing to do with him. But you're right. But Michael, the point stands. How concerned are you about this defense? I mean, it, it really does seem like this Jets defense is reeling from the loss of Jamal Adams. And we knew this was going to be the case. We knew this was a worse defense than it was last year. I think the hope was that CJ Mosley would mitigate this loss. And certainly today, even though you lose Jamal, you'd be a worse defense. But if you had CJ Mosley out here today, I don't think that the 49ers are having certainly not all of those big runs that they had. They might have had one or whatever, but they're missing just that that passion, that heart of the defense. Quinnen brought it a little bit today, but they don't have anybody that really brings that fire that Jamal had been bringing for this defense or that Mosley did for three quarters. Yeah, I think the defense is – it feels crazy to say but there's less hope with this than the offense. On offense, you have Crowder. Crowder didn't play in this game. He'll be back. Bell will be back at some point. Mims, Harriman missed a lot of this game. Offensive line is – Looks pretty good, and Sam Darnold is, you know, you have Sam Darnold. He is and they moved the ball. Potential. And they did, you know, show some flashes in the beginning of that game. Uh, hopefully they're not successful enough to where Chris Johnson does the stupid thing and brings Gase back. That's the tightrope we have to walk now. Uh, ho- hopefully they, there is no circumstance where he can come back. But you still would like to see this offense play well. But defensively, there's just not much hope. You don't have really any – reinforcements coming back injury wise uh williamson you know maybe he's you know still recovering a little bit and he'll eventually 
get back to that starting lineup, that would be huge. But, you know, you have to ask the question at this point, is he even the same player? They restructured his contract. Um, Greg is, hasn't played him to this point, so he, unless Greg is making a baffling decision here, he pro- Williamson probably isn't healthy. So you just don't really have any reinforcements coming back, and there's no reason to hope the edge rush is going to get any better with a lack of talent there. Maybe Bryce Huff gets a chance at some point and shows something. Franklin Myers played in this game. I don't think he did much of anything, but only one game. Uh, but there's just not a ton of hope for this defense to get better. It really just doesn't seem like a talented unit right now. And, and last year they were able to overcome it, but it was in the second half of the season against a lot of bad offenses, rookie quarterbacks, and that was a concern. And, you know, that was a concern. Would they be able to sustain that over a full schedule not just against teams like Washington, the Giants, uh, the Bills playing their backups, the Dolphins, uh, and the Bengals, not against teams like that for the full schedule. And, you know, now it is looking like they wouldn't, uh, that they are not going to be able uh, to maintain that. So it, the defense is a huge question. It doesn't, because just because you don't have that hope of, okay, this guy's coming back. Could this guy progress? Things like that. Uh, the biggest hope is Quinn and Williams on that defensive line and also Nathan Shepard. I think should be thrown in there. Can they take a step up in the passing game? Great uh, step forward with Quinnen in this game. Shepard hasn't done anything yet, but those two guys are the biggest hope. Uh, but other than that, there's not a lot to really hope for with this defense. And that's not to say they're going to be terrible in every game, but uh, definitely, ah. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, not as much hope as the offense, I don't think. Right. I think we thought that they were going to fall out of the top 10 and be an average defense. And this is looking like they may be around 20th. Um, but I, I, I agree that there's actually more hope for the offense and the defense. The one thing the defense has going for them is I think Greg Williams is a much better coach than Adam Gase. So we, we'll right. see if he can work some magic and, and get them to play better than they have been playing. Because I mean, the defense did not look good in the first half last year. It was that second half that really had us right. feeling good. Right. And I think, you know, no preseason probably hurts the defense more than anything else with the missed tackling. And so I expect that to get a lot better, especially as they get more games under their belt. You know, uh, I think it's really linebackers what's hurting them. So hopefully the healthier Avery gets, uh, you know, they can establish some sort of presence in the middle of the field um, that'll help them because it just seems like there's just wide open guys cutting across the middle um, and missed tackles everywhere. So I agree that there's more hope for the offense than the defense, but not all hope is lost in the defense, though. I don't, I don't expect them to be very good. Uh, let's do some stock up and some stock down. Um, we'll talk about maybe a couple more things and we'll get out of here. Um, we'll start with the positives. Michael, who are some of the guys based off of last week, looking at this week that their stock is up? I definitely a few that come to mind, but I'll start with you. I think there are three that definitely come to mind. Number one, Quinnen. Pretty obvious. This was the most destructive game of his career. Uh, I wouldn't say by far, because I think there are some games where he created a lot of pressure, wasn't rewarded with a sack. But in this game, he did get the two sacks, nice finishes, uh, made plays in the run game as well. So easily his most productive game and hopefully a sign of things to come. Something the Jets absolutely need if they're going to be successful in defense. So to start with him, I'll go with Becton, number two. Still need to see more on the film. Uh, once that comes out, but based on the few times I looked at him, he was getting his getting the job done for the most part. I wanted that, to see that, him go against Nick Bosa, although that probably wouldn't have been really. Yeah, he won the matchup. He did win but the matchup. The few times that he did go against him in the beginning, he was winning that matchup. 
and then and, once he got to go against uh, the backups, he dominated. The, uh, those. And he had that sick pancake block on the uh, yeah, the, that Malone. open field block on the Malone end around was his highlight of the game. But he had some other highlight blocks too. So two straight good games. Apparently, we'll see. Look at the film. There might have been some losses that I uh, forgot about or didn't see, but it seemed like he was really good for the second straight game. And then third, I'll go with Sam Darnold. I mean, he was imperfect. There are some things that I think he still can get a lot better at. Um, You know, even with all circumstances, there were some things that he wasn't great with. But uh, he took a step forward from last week. That was a really worrisome game. Uh, And he was a lot sharper throwing the ball in this one. Yeah, I agree. I think all three of those guys are are ones that that I would have named, including Darnold, um, who just based off last week, there were some definite concerns. It seems like that was definitely definitely more week one jitters than anything a lot more accurate with the football. And then obviously the, the two you just mentioned uh, as far as, I mean, there's probably only one more that you could go with with stock up and that would be Frank Gore, I guess. Um, and you could even throw the Michael P Ryan who I guess had a, a few nice runs in the fourth quarter, that style, that one cut style of running back is certainly a much better fit for this offensive line and this offense in general. Um, I think it's a good offensive line, but it's not as great as Pittsburgh's was in their prime and having Antonio Brown to stretch the field, um, so Le'Veon Bell is just not as good of a fit, but we'll see when he gets back. I mean, back, I do but... think when he gets back, he's going to start putting up the numbers. He didn't get too many carries in that first game. Right. I think he's going to start putting some numbers up when he gets back. I really do. But I also do wonder if the Jets had a home run speed type of running back, like a Raheem Mostert, who was on their practice squad for a week, I think, four years ago. But if they had that type of guy, I feel like there were some holes in this game that a home run hitter could have taken advantage of. But like you said, Gore does do a right. good job of keeping you ahead there, of the there, sticks. And there, and there was one run that Gore had where he probably could have scored on that he got tripped up, and you could see he was frustrated by it. But um, I think Pirine, although he didn't show up in the combine, does have – I mean, Adams is probably the fastest running back on this roster. But I think Pirine does have more speed. He's not a Raheem Mostert. But I think he's gore with fresher legs and, and a little bit faster, but just less experience. But I think that type of runner is definitely a better fit. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And as far as Bell goes, I think he's probably traded at the deadline at this point, unless they want to put him in that Ty Montgomery receiver running back role uh, and just multiply the, the touches by five, you know, just give him 10 carries on the ground and throw it to him eight to 10 times or whatever. I agree with you. Maybe we're, maybe I'm overestimating gore. I think that Bell didn't get much of an opportunity week one. I think he's, Certainly will have a better year this year than he did last year, depending on how many games he plays. But I just think the fact that Gore hits the hole, gets positive yards, they stay ahead of the sticks, that works a lot better for this offense. Um, Stock down, and there's a lot of guys you could go with here. Uh, Again, Michael, I'll start with you. You can just start listing them off. I'll I'll go get some coffee, and we can come back and talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, I'll just list the whole roster (laughs) except the three guys I just mentioned. 49 guys. Here we go. Um, so Josh Adams going in alphabetical order here. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, you can go with almost anyone on defense. Have to start the linebackers, Hewitt and Ogletree. Cornerback, I, Austin has to be listed in this game, I think. Definitely wasn't, uh, definitely wasn't nearly as good as last week. Uh, those three guys stand out. I think McDougald missed some tackles as well. Uh, so it, it was just rough all around the defense. And then offensively, have to look at the receivers. I know Hogan did eventually make some catches, but the one drop he had early in the game was really bad. And those just those early game drops really kill you. And there, we've seen so many examples. Look back at the Raiders game last year. 
uh, some of the drops the Raiders had at the beginning of that game. How much differently could that blowout have gone if the Raiders get on top of the touchdown at the beginning? Uh, and then the Jets with the Barrios drop in Cincinnati. How different is that? The Jets get in the red zone and score a touchdown. So Hogan, early game drop, very bad. Um, and the separation throughout this game, that wasn't there either. Uh, oh, Josh Malone also had a yeah, drop. Well, he did have a good catch, though, on that. I mean, he did have a good catch in uh, one, one target, but also dropped a, a comeback, I think. Dartle. Chris Herndon has to be mentioned for that drop in the end zone, also just not producing anything. Uh, so skill positions on offense. Uh, and looking at the O-line, again, have to look at it more specifically to see if anyone struggled. I think Van Roten kind of might have had another rough game, uh, but it's hard to really blame anyone on the O-line. It's, this is the strongest position on this team right now, and usually when that's the case, your team should be pretty successful, but Seems like a good start for them. But to go with duds, I think the names that come to mind first are Hewitt, Ogletree, Austin, and then offensively. Just looking at – honestly, above all these names, I have to go with that in case. He, he's the biggest dud with everything. <laughs> biggest dud. Um, yeah, I think the only dud. one you left out might be Marcus May, and that's not to say that May is a bad player, but certainly based off of his performance week one where he thought yeah, – I would say he's a big stock down, not not a dud. I think right, a lot. Right. A lot of players who are worse. Hey, that's that's than, the but, name of the segment. It was right. stocked up. I guess I was down. kind of ignoring that part. Yeah. That, but yeah. De- definitely stocked down from his kind of record setting game last week. Too. Right. Looking I think, more, uh, a little more pedestrian. This game, yeah. This week, yeah. Week one was more of like, look, this guy fit right into Jamal Adams' role. There wasn't much of a difference. This week, you saw a little bit more of the difference in, in them. Um, I think Adams' instincts are just a lot better than May's. There were times where May looked a little bit lost, um, but overall still a solid game from him. I don't think he missed anybody. I think the big point that, that you can take away from that outside of everybody else sucked was that the offensive line, I think you're right, is the strongest part of this team, which is a year ago is the weakest part. So for anybody that's doubting Joe Douglas, you can doubt Adam Gase and Chris Johnson all you want. Hell, even Sam Darnold at times you can doubt. But I think the one guy on this team I think is Joe Douglas, I think is – and we're about to talk about one of his miscues, but as far as what he's done to this offensive line, that's the thing that gives me the biggest hope that he is definitely the best general manager this team has had in, in decades. Um, I certainly believe in him to build the future of this team. And we haven't even seen the majority of his draft class. I'm very excited to watch Denzel Mims. We'll see what Zuniga can do. We'll see more of P Ryan in the coming weeks. We haven't even seen Bryce Hall in uniform. So um, I'm excited about to watch the rest of Joe Douglas's draft class, but just looking at his pet project, this offensive line, I agree that he found five guys that really worked well together. Um, there was a lot of concerns about George Fant when they signed him. They got a lot of crit- criticism for it. And so far Fant has been very good as well. He's been solid. And I agree the interior of the offensive line. It's not amazing by any stretch, but it's been good enough where they're getting positive runs and they're protecting Darnold. Um, just hoping that the team, the rest of the team can capitalize on that. But the biggest thing you can get on Douglas about, is what he did at receiver. And I, there's two questionable moves. You could argue one questionable move, but the first one is opting for Brashad Perriman over Robbie Anderson, which Michael, you think is, is the biggest mistake of the off season, which I, I think is a fair point. You can certainly make that argument. I, I understand at least the logic that Robbie's not a complete receiver. He's a terrible blocker, despite the fact he thinks he blocks like a tight end. Um, I can at least kind of understand the logic in saying, well, we can pay Perriman $5 million less. Look at what he did the last few weeks of the season. We think we can replicate that with success. He took a risk. It's been two games. It hasn't worked out. I think that's a bad decision. I certainly would have paid Robbie. But I at least can kind of understand the logic if 
you're going to take two receivers in the draft. If you decide, look, we like Robbie, but we think Perriman, we can get that production with Perriman and we can draft two guys that can replace the production as a whole. We can have a really solid receiving core. Um, but I think the bigger mistake, when you look at the fact that they did opt the cheap route, they took Perriman over Anderson and then they decided to take James Morgan instead of, uh, of a second receiver. I think that was bigger when you just compound the decision. So in a vacuum, you could make an argument that Robbie is the worst decision, but when you look at it in totality, the fact that he made that decision and then only opted to have one receiver, I think is a, is a worse call. That's the one thing you can get on him about. Um, certainly his drafting strategy proved to be that, you know, he's going to take the guys that, that he believes are good players. He's not going to reach for a position. He's going to choose the best guys for the New York Jets, not just blindly taking best player available defensive tackles. But if he thinks that this player is – has a higher probability to be a starter in this league or be a good player in this league. He's going to take him. He clearly likes James Morgan than a guy like Gabriel Davis, who was picked three picks later and had a good game for the bills uh, this week. Um, but Michael talk a little bit about that decision. I know you've been very critical of it first Robbie over Perriman who Robbie's having a good season so far in Carolina. Uh, and then the, the decision to not draft somebody. And then on the flip side of that, or I guess not the flip side, the, the in addition to that, I should say, should the Jets make a move at receiver in season? You know, clearly this is not a Super Bowl team, probably not a playoff team, but is this getting dire enough where, where Gase is going to, or where Douglas is going to say, look, I got to bring somebody in, somebody like an Allen Robinson, somebody like fill in the, the blank um, to help out his young quarterback and to help out his friend uh, at head coach. Well, in the off season, I think the thing with Robbie Anderson, when, you know, before he signed with Carolina, I think, the conversation was, is he worth, you know, $15 million a year, an expensive multi-year contract. And I think there were a lot of legitimate reasons, you know, not to pay him that kind of deal, but what he ended up getting with the Panthers was very, I think very much worth what he brings to the table. Uh, You know, we know he's limited in ways he doesn't create after the catch. He's not a good blocker. Um, But what he does bring to the table, I think Panthers got him at a bargain Um, and we'll see what he does this year. But, I think they even if you you can sign both. I, the Jets were just so thin at receiver that I think you know I see the logic and you know we could replicate Anderson with Perriman for cheaper money, but just sign both. They had the cap space. This is extremely important for Darnold, and Anderson is the receiver he probably has the most chemistry with on the outside uh, throughout his two years in the league. Uh, not even probably easily the receiver that he had the most production with on the outside. Um, and I think he progressed a, a bit with his intermediate game contested catches last year. So I think they should have signed both really, I think, because, you know, you have the money to do it. Perriman was only one year deal anyway. Uh, and to rely on Perriman, who, and I know we haven't gotten too much of a chance to see him yet. Darnold missed him in the first game and this one, he, uh, he was out for most of this game or a large part of it. Uh, but Perriman just never produced much of anything before December of last year. So to assume that he was going to replace Anderson, who was pretty consistent throughout the last three years, not necessarily on a game-to-game basis, but you knew every year what he was going to give you. His numbers were pretty steady from 2017 to 19 against Perriman, who has been done pretty, again, just really didn't do anything until his last five games. I didn't think that made sense. I think they probably should have signed, you know, even if you don't sign both, sign somebody else who's legitimate. So they're definitely too conservative there. And then in the draft, like you said, they definitely could have, there were good receivers available. When Morgan was on the board and said they went with that for some reason, 
And even later, there are some good, decent receiver prospects available, and they should have double-dipped at that position or even went with the third receiver there because they are so thin. But we're already seeing them uh, pay for their ignorance at that position. Uh, so they, that's, that's the one criticism with Douglas. Should have done more at wide receiver. And, and not the one. I mean, there are some other things you could look at as well. But that's the biggest one, receiver, I think. And in terms of midseason – I don't think, like you said, they're not a contender, so you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to trade valuable picks to try and panic and get a receiver. Um, but at the same time, it is getting to a point where uh, they really need some help, and it's going to hurt Darnold's development even more if you can't, you know, get someone in here. So maybe not a Robinson type of trade, but maybe more like a Demarius Thomas kind of trade from last year that could do something like that. Uh, but but at the same time, if you can, if you feel like you, you know, are able to get a Robinson type of player, feel good about extending him, that's important as well. If you are going to trade for someone, uh, if you're going to make an expensive trade for someone, uh, then you want to know that you're going to have him for the foreseeable future. So if they are going to do that, you have to, you have to be able to know you can keep him for the long term. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I don't think the Jets are in a position to make a trade um, – on a quick fix. When you look at the Percy Harvin deal that they made in 2014, that's what immediately comes to mind. I think the Jets were off the top of my head, something like one and eight or something, one and seven. And they made that deal. Um, and, you know, he was fine. He had a few touchdowns. I think he helped Gene out a little bit, but he wasn't brought back. They lost a draft pick. He didn't really help insurmountably and the Jets still suck. So I agree with that. If they're going to bring in somebody, it has to be somebody that, you can count on for the long term that Joe Douglas really wants to build around. And the honest truth is, is that those guys rarely are available at the trade deadline. Unless there's a situation like uh, the Jets might have with Bell, where they expect to either cut him after the season or he's going to, his contract's going to run out. So they expect him to be a free agent after this year and they just want to recoup something. Sometimes there are those guys available. Juju Smith-Schuster is a guy that does come to mind. Pittsburgh does not pay the receivers, or at least history would suggest that. Had a down year last year, but based off of week one, I don't, I don't necessarily know he did week two. Did have a really good game week one, so I don't know if I'd expect that. That's a long shot. And when you look at it, Smith-Schuster is way more effective in the slot. He's essentially an elite slot option, and the Jets already have that in Jamison Crowder. So, but that type of guy is really the only thing that might wiggle free. Allen Robinson is the guy that everybody's talking about. They did The Bears did just give three Cohen money. We'll see if that helps anything in the Allen Robinson talks or if it hurts anything. But I agree with you. I think this is probably the unit they're stuck with. I think their best option is to activate a guy like Lawrence Cager, give him a chance to run with the ones. Um, but I think Denzel Mims is the guy that's going to save this receiving core. I'm very high on him. And I think he's pretty much Sam Darnold's only hope. I also expect Herndon to get a lot better as the season goes on. It is his only second game in two years. Um, yeah, that bad drop. Um, but, I, but I expect him as the season goes on to, to yeah. find that chemistry. I mean, again. he did play against the Giants. But, but you're right. Yeah, he played against the Giants last year. But, I mean, you're right. Okay, you know, for like some, nine plays. Some, yeah, but, you know, there's still some acclimation. But, I mean, I guess that's not really an excuse for drops and right. fumbles. I mean, and granted, that was that is a harder catch than it looks. I mean, it does hit him right in the numbers, but when you look at the way his body was positioned, he's falling uh, down. Catch it. You're, you're in the I, I agree, but he's falling down. His momentum's carrying him down. He's a receiver on his back. He definitely should have caught that, but it wasn't like it wasn't as egregious as the Crowder drop in Baltimore. Um, the play before the touchdown that looks very similar to that. Um, it was a somewhat difficult catch, but I agree, it's definitely catchable. Um, but I think that's going to do it for our our. 
Jets therapy this Monday morning therapy by the time you're listening to it. Talking all things Jets 49ers. The Jets fall to 0-2. Um, I will say that their next two games are significantly easier than their, their last two games. I don't know if I'm going to predict another win for a while, though, after, after this week. I think I'll, I'll stick in the, the L column for a while. But they do get an Indianapolis team that did lose to Jacksonville week one, although Gardner Minshew is definitely a lot better than people thought. And wouldn't be surprised if Trevor Lawrence doesn't end up in Jacksonville now. Um, and Denver was a team that I thought they would definitely lose to, but they did lose Von Miller at the start of the season. And it looks like Drew Locke is going to be out for that game. So they should be facing Jeff Driscoll on prime time. So if I was a betting man, I'd say that the Jets are going to be sitting at one and three after the first four, but they do have an opportunity to be two and two. And based on the first two games, they have equally as good an opportunity to be on four. So well, we'll see. I, just, I, have, I have a really positive note here. Well, first ahead. of all, I'm going to go with Jets 26, Colts 21. Stop, nice shut week. up. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go with Colts 26, Jets listen, 21. Listen to this. So I'm going to tell you about a season here. The Jets were 0 and 2. One of those first two losses were against the San Francisco 49ers, and their third game was against the Indianapolis Colts. They won that game to get to one and two. This team is finished one and fifteen. This team is the 1998 New York Jets. <laughs> You're gonna tweet that out and get a thousand likes and 500 retweets. Yeah, I don't think they're the 98 Jets, but. Um, it is important to remember that it is early in the season. I mean, I don't think they're a good team, but if they do win next week, or let's say they maybe, do for Maybe some... Flacco's our test of Yeah. <laughs> well, let's say they do, for some reason, go one and three or two and two or whatever. It is still early. They started 0 and four last year and one and seven and finished six and two. Those are some cupcake wins, but still very early. I think they're overall a bad team, but I don't think they're the worst team in NFL history. I don't think they're getting the first overall pick. But, yeah, certainly uh, not great for the Jets in their first two games. You can follow us at CYJPod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. Michael, I hope you change your name to, to 26 to 21. And just I'm going to keep tweeting <laughs> that at you every single day because you were so fervent. And Did you have a dream? How did that come to you? I, just, I think it's just when we were doing this last week, I was like, hmm, 26, 21. That's what came to my first. To I told you, I, I had a dream. That, the possibility lasted for a while. It was I, I, I had a dream that, that so I was like, this is going to happen. I had a dream that Brant Boyer came to me in front of my house. This is any you know you're watching and reading too much Jets. He came to me in front of my house and told me nobody likes Adam Gase. And then they won this game against the Niners on a game-winning field goal. I, I don't even know. I, I mean – so did Clearly. you just skip to the scene where he's standing in your driveway? I don't. I have no. I no context for it at all. I don't. Why was Brant Boyer in my dreams? You clearly um, shows up and he's like, I don't know his voice, so I can't impersonate it. But he's just like scratchy. Ben. Nobody likes Adam Gase. Yeah, I said. I said. I said off the record. Do people like Adam Gase? He goes, nobody likes him. <laughs> so I, I think. I think one of the two things I dreamed about might be true, but we'll see. Um, Michael, I think I'm just reading too many of your special teams articles. Um, any, anything to plug on JetX? I was about to get to the plugs, but you know the drill. Um, JetX, Factor, iTunes, Spotify, whatever. Um, anything to plug on uh, going on at JetX? Uh, I'm looking forward to doing the, the Darnold grades for this week. I grade him pretty low for the Bills game, fourth worst of his career. So that wasn't fun. But this one I think is going to be a lot higher. This should be – I think this, he's going to score above average. For this game, yeah, it should be in the upper. What I saw on TV it should be a solid performance. So there's some going to be some good clips and numbers from that one, and hopefully it's out earlier in the week with all 22. That that's a big thing this week. The all 22 
was not out until Thursday last week, should be back to its normal Tuesday this week. They already put out the film for the Thursday game, so everything should be out a little bit earlier this week. So Jets are terrible, but we're going to cover it better than anyone else, so definitely check out Donald Grades. Robbie Sabo's going to have some good stuff. Joe Blewett does his freaking three-hour film breakdowns. Uh, which are filled with plenty of good rants in it as well. So, and then, uh, and then, plenty of great stuff. And then, Udonis Haslam and Mario Chalmers, which is me and Sam Krinick, are we'll, <laughs> we'll rally up some stuff this week as well. Um, that'll do it for us. Hope everybody's having a good week. Don't let the Jets ruin it for you. Have a good Monday. Arnold takes the snap, looks left under pressure. Oh, it's one over the middle. Yes.